The word of God changes us, transforms us. It purges us from sinfulness, uh, delivers us from our crazy, stupid self. And, uh, and it's really, it's so powerful. I thank God for his word because I would be very lost and, and I, I would have probably turned out very bad if I would not have had God's word, but thank God for his word. And so tonight I want to talk about the desires of our heart. And I feel like I can't, you can't talk about that enough because so many people are out here looking, oh God, what do you have for me? Oh God, what, somebody give me direction and, and you know, and God's out here. And, and even I, I was with a bunch of really sophisticated, fairly mature Christians in recent days and what, this one gave this devotional, how to hear God's voice, how to find God. I, and I want to say, guys, God lives right in here. That just tells me how to, out of touch you are with your spirit. If you're out of touch with your spirit, you must be in touch with your flesh and your unrenewed mind. Because God lives inside our spirit. Sure, he's omnipresent, he's out here. But more than anything, he lives big on the inside of us. He manifests on the inside of us in wisdom. Christ has been made wisdom unto us, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Sanctification, redemption, and wisdom, he's been made unto us. And you know, the desires of our heart, how many of you know, let me, let me think, excuse me, now, now who do you suppose made your heart with all of his desires? God. Do you think he programmed it wrong? If he called you to be a, a preacher, do you think that he put in your heart a, a desire to be a doctor? No. See, this, all you got to do is be in touch with your heart. And sometimes that means divorcing some of the, 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 the stupidness of our head. Your head is not your highest thing. Your heart is. Intellectuals are just people that are, that are functioning on three, three, you know, two out of the three cylinders. You know, we have our physical senses to contact this physical world. I contact this physical world with my physical senses. I contact the mental world the intellectual world with my brain and my understanding, which is connected to my physical senses. My physical senses can see words on a page. And because my physical senses empower me to see words on a page, I can intellectually read those words, and then my intellect, I come into contact with those things that are designed for my intellect. But my spirit... I contact my physical world with my physical being. I contact the intellectual world with my mind, my intellectual being. But I contact the spiritual world with my spirit man. God is a spirit, and they that worship him will do so in spirit and in truth, John 4 says. Can I get an amen? Amen. So we've got to learn. Paul said, I serve God with my spirit. How many remember that in Romans 1? Paul said that, I serve God with my spirit. I make my body a slave. I put my flesh under. I renew my mind, but I contact living being is in him, and I serve God with my spirit. Now, if we really understood that, then we wouldn't be afraid to look into our heart and recognize those desires that are driving us towards God's will. See, your spirit after it's born again is a safe place to go and rely on. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. Demons don't get into your spirit. They make suggestions into your mind. They can make your body feel sick, but they don't get into your spirit, man. 
only the Holy Spirit lives there. And he's sealed and he lives inside there. And in, in, in Ephesians 4 and 22, it says, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the inward man. In other words, let it be on the outside, just like filling the water up so full, uh, a glass of water that flows over on the outside. That's what it means to be refilled and the spirit upon. And it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the inward man that is created after Christ in true righteousness. Your inward man, we're talking about your inward man. In true righteousness, that's your spiritual standing, and holiness, the condition of your moral state, or your, the, the acting out of your life. Your spirit is a safe place to go to. That's why God says uh, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, your heart, I believe, does intersect with your soul uh, and your spirit. And your heart is the, the cognitive place where the spirit man and the soulless man intersect. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And where those intersect, I believe, is what the Bible calls your heart. But turn with me to Psalms 37. And we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 tonight. And we're going to talk about the desires of your heart. You need to know about these desires in your heart. Amen. Amen. Are you all there? Delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Now, see, in our, in our twisted culture today, we would say... When the Lord gives me the desires of my heart, I'll delight myself in him. How many of you know, in today's culture, we would have it just exactly uh, the opposite order? Yeah. You know, when the Lord blesses me, I'll delight in him. And not until. <laughs> no. But that's the way a lot of people are. But look at the order. Delight thyself in the Lord that's first. That's like seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Can you see that similar order there to Matthew 6, 31 through 33? That when you seek first, then all these things are added. When you delight first, then he gives you desires of your heart. Now let's go to the next verse. It says, commit thy way unto the Lord and trust also in him. So commit your way unto him. You know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Even as the heavens are higher than our thoughts and our ways, so are his thoughts and ways higher than ours. But you've got to commit to his ways. You've got to be committed to his way of doing things. You've got to be committed to serving, walking in love, forgiving. You've got to be committed to going to church and putting others first. You've got to be committed to, in your giving. You've got to be committed in right thinking. You've got to be committed to right talking. You've got to be committed to right living. You've got to be committed to putting your flesh under. You've got to be committed to purging out sin. Amen. So when you commit your ways to the Lord, and they're not your ways anymore, they're His ways, which are higher than your ways, and therefore established on higher thinking, creates higher ways. You can't have higher ways in your life until you get higher thinking because not only is his ways higher than yours, but his thoughts are higher than yours. And he wants to do 
He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask your ways or think your thinking. And the way that he does that is you've got to commit your ways to being his ways. See, a lot of people don't want to do that. Oh, they want to talk it, they want to act it, they want to pretend it, but where are they tonight? You know, where are they when we have a work day? Where are they when we have a blitz at the college to go soul winning? Where are they? Oh, well, I'm following the Lord. But, but the, pro- the problem is they haven't changed their ways. They're the same as they've always been. And it's like a pretend thing. But see, you really have to change your ways. Can I get an amen? amen. You really have to commit your ways to him. You don't get to keep it your way. You know, McDonald's or, or Hardee's or somebody might say, have it your way. Who, who says that? Burger King says, have it your way. But I'm sorry, with God, it doesn't work that way. You got to make it his way. And you, a lot of people say, it's my way or the highway. But you better make it his way. Because until you make it his way, uh, your way is his ways. And he, he's not going to make his ways your ways. Somebody say Amen. He's not going to make his ways like your ways, because our ways stink. And they're filled with carnality and selfishness, and God cannot bless that. Amen. Man, I wish I could sleep like that at night. Those guys look so peaceful. They look like a couple of angels. Don't wake them up. I don't mind the snoring. All right. Everybody hear that snoring? Uh, They're blessed. All right, coming in and going out, waking up and going to sleep. All right. So we need to understand that when we commit our ways to the Lord, let's read it. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. How many of you want to bring it to pass? I don't know what it is in your life, but I got a bunch of things. I want him to bring it to pass. I want to bring it to pass so I can take that more, have a mortgage burning ceremony. I want to bring it to pass that that building over there is all done. I'm getting sick of looking at it, not finished. I shouldn't say getting sick. That's a bad confession. But I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of driving on gravel around here. I want him to bring it to pass. How about you? I want him to bring it to pass. But until I get my ways more like his ways, and wherever I'm missing, I need to keep making my ways. I need to keep committing my ways unto him. And he's going to start bringing it to pass more and more to the degree that we commit things and make our ways his ways. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. See, the Hebrew way of emphasis is to rephrase it. So he kind of says the same thing over in verse 4 and in verse 5. We all have desire. You know, faith is really all about desire. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Everybody say hoped for. Hoped for just means desire. What you're desiring is the thing you're hoping for. And so, now faith is a substance of things over the evidence of things not seen. That's funny. And so, we just don't get that on tape. Because that would not be good to put on the pub. Me preaching on people snoring in unison. <laughs> so, anyway. That really made me lose my train of thought. Now, faith is hope. 
Whatsoever things you desire. See, Mark, you know, Mark 11, 23, really, 24, really is very similar to Hebrews 11, 3, where it says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He says, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, if you believe that you receive them, you shall have them. Whatsoever things you to, that you, everybody say with me, desire. desire. How many of you have some desires of your heart? What sort of things you desire? God put a whole bunch of desires in you, and you know you so you have, still have some of them. Some of them you've per, they've gotten perverted. Some of them because your mind is not renewed, you can't even recognize them. But those desires are permanently planted in your heart because the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. They're irreversible. They're never going to go back to God. You're always going to be accountable for those desires and those things that those desires should drive you to do in your life for God. See, I, I believe this that. You know, it says, if any man desires the office of a bishop, let him first, you know, and it tells about all the 18 qualifications. Let him not be a brawler. Let him not, you know, uh, this and that. And you don't know how to have your own household in order. You know, deacons, if you, if you don't have your wife in order, if you don't have your wife in order, you don't, I'm going to guarantee you right now you don't have your life in order. So, if you can't lead your house and your kids and your wife, forget trying to lead a church. And so, I'm going to tell you right now, there's some things, if you desire the office, it's still there, but you're going to have to qualify, and there's going to have to be some things. But God puts the desire to be a bishop in people's hearts. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus never rebuked anybody for desiring to be great. Mark, the 10th chapter, go ahead and turn there tonight. Mark 10 and verses 35 through 39. There he had some disciples, some young men, and they, they wanted to be great. And they wanted to be somebody. And, and you know, when you're young, a lot of times uh, you want to be somebody until you find out what it takes, all the work and discipline and misery that comes with being somebody. And then you realize you really didn't want to be somebody. Mark 10, 35. I mean, most people that are somebody's eventually just crash and burn. Because in the world, when you're somebody, you, you usually, most of those folks aren't living right. All right, Mark 10, and we're going to read those verses 35 through 39, and it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came, uh, or come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall, what's it say? Desire. King James says desire. That's the only translation that matters tonight. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but desire, ask, it's all the same thing. But I like it when uh, King James is always very consistent. I think some of these people that did translations that are a little more scatterbrained. We would that you should do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in glory. Yeah, just us, two, three, four, and no more, you know. We're not asking for much, just your right hand and your left hand, only the the two most important people next to you. That's all, Jesus. I mean, gosh, why would you, you know, flinch at that? And But Jesus said unto them, uh, you should want to be great. What's wrong with you? He didn't say that, did he? But Jesus said unto them, you know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? 
and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of this cup and I, that I drink of, and with baptism that I am baptized with all, ye shall be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them whom it is prepared. And so it's really very powerful what you know, he, w- he was saying there. He did not rebuke them for wanting to be great. Did you know God has put in the heart of everyone? God wants, let me put it this way, God has put in the heart of everyone that they want to be great in some form and fashion. You know, I read out of First Chronicles. Let me read out of First Chronicles 29 tonight. Some of you may have caught this. Some of you may have not caught this. But look what God says when David brought in the offering for the temple. He says in First Chronicles chapter 29, Verse 12, both riches and honor come of thee. And of course, this is David talking to God. And thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thine hand is to make great. Everybody say, make great. And to give strength unto all. If God, if it was wrong for people to want to be great, then what is God doing making people great? Can I get an amen? It's his power, and he does make people great. What's he doing making people great? Well, he's got, he, he doesn't make everybody great, and there's a reason why. Notice, you know, it says, delight in the Lord before he gives you the desires. Notice you've got to commit your way, then he'll bring it to pass. I believe this. Before you can be great, you're going to have to qualify yourself uh, with, uh, with some serious uh, submission and commitment. And I'll say it like this. Uh, a big, a big desire, a big dream with low commitment is a nightmare. Big dreams, high, big dreams with low, small commitment equals nightmare because you're frustrated all the time. You want to be something, but you don't want to do what it takes to be that person. And everybody has struggled with that from some time or another in their lives. You know, when you, when you think about that, there's many, many have big dreams but low commitment in life. Many have heart desires but no delighting in God. They, well, they delight in a lot of things. They delight in their car, in their house, and, you know, the Cubs game or something. Uh, but there's no delighting in God. And they're not delighting enough to be committed to his ways. Well, they might delight on Sunday in the middle of a praise and worship session, but, but not delighted enough in God to commit their ways to him. So we've, we've got to move from just not just having big dreams, but big commitment, big discipline, big giving of ourselves to God. Is this, is this all right if I tell you this much truth tonight? You're not going to be mad at me, are you? One addresses your relationship with the person of God. Delight in the Lord. And then the other one addresses your cooperation with his principles of God that you commit commit yourself to. So one is about the person of God, and the other is about the principles of God. Delight thyself in the Lord. That's the person of God. Can I get an amen? And commit thy way... And he shall bring to pass. Now, commit thy ways to his ways. Those are his principles. Commit the principles of your life to him, and he'll bring it to pass. So you've got to have a relationship with the person of God. 
before you have a relationship with the principles of God. But you really have to have both. Say, I will commit myself to the person of God. And then I will also commit myself to the principles of God. There's nothing more dangerous and wicked. There's no wicked like this wicked. And that is somebody who is very good at the principles of God, has the power and the gift of God, maybe even had the anointing of God, but they're not committed to the person of God. There's nothing worse in a congregation than somebody who's really talented but not committed to the pastor and the vision of that church. And let me name who that person is. His name was Lucifer. He was more talented than anybody in heaven. And he was the least committed. And he destroyed everything. I'm going to tell you something. Talent without commitment is the most wicked of the wicked of all wicked's. Somebody say amen. If God has talented you that much, then you ought to be dedicated that much. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's the truth. There's nothing more wicked than that. Your relationship with God, if, if, you know, I see all kinds of people whose talent exceeds their character. They've got all the talent, but they don't have the character. So eventually their talent gets used for selfishness, for narcissism, and even ultimately wickedness. It starts out Lucifer saying, you know, I will exalt my throne. You know, I will exalt myself. And then he says, I will be as God. In other words, it starts out with him lifting himself up. Then it ends up, I'm taking God's place. I'm kicking God out. And so it always starts out one way, but it always ends another. General Eisenhower said this, there are no victories at bargain prices. I like that. The greater the desire, the greater the cost in life. If you've got big desire, get ready. God's going to require big costs. It's going to cost you a lot. Luke 12, 48 says, To whom much is given, much will be required. But God's not against greatness. But you might find yourself being against it when you find out what it really is. So God... If you can stand up to it, God certainly can. But the question is, it's not that God, is he, can he stand up to making us great? Can we handle being great? Far more have fallen uh, because of prosperity than poverty. Can I get an amen? amen? Far more people fall because of their prosperity than their poverty. Much desire is given to some and much will be required. So delight in God and commit your ways to him. Remember Mark eleven twenty four. the basis of faith is desire. And if God has, you know, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. What does that mean? I believe that means that Jesus is the one who authored how big our want to is. He is the author of our faith. And what's our faith? Our faith is just whatsoever things you desire. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Why do some people have a five-talent desire and some only have a two-talent desire? You know, parable of the talents, you all know what I'm saying? Because Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. He's the author and the finisher of those desires. He's the author of those desires that live inside you. And without him, you can't finish it. He's the author, and you need the author to put right those desires in your heart, but you're going to have to have more than the author. He's the author and the what? The finisher. 
for you to finish your race and run your course, you're not going to only have to have the author writing it up for you, but you're going to have to have the finisher carry you through and cause you to be able to do those things that he has for you. He is the author of the desires of your heart. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He is the one who put that want to in there. John Osteen did a sermon one time, a long time ago at ORU Chapel one time, and the name of that sermon was, How Big Is Your Want To? How much desire do you have? For much is given, much will be required. If you've got small want to, uh, then maybe uh, God put that in there. Maybe you should be believing for more want to. Can I get an amen? In the parable of the talents, there's different levels. I'll tell you a really interesting parable is the parable of the ten virgins. The ten virgins. Well, let's go there. Let's go to this one. It's Matthew 25. It's right before the parable of talents. And it's verses 1 through 12. Matthew 25. This is what happens a lot of times with believers. It says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. This is what the kingdom of God's like. This is what it's like in the kingdom. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. They were not prepared. I remember in SMTI, proper planning prevents poor performance, right? Proper planning. Everybody say planning. Proper planning. That needs to be a good plan. Work your plan and plan your work. Plan your work and work your plan. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil, their vessels with their lamps. Everybody say, the wise had prepared. Plans, preparation. Plans, preparations, pursuits. Plans, purpose, pursuits. Brother Hagen made a book called that. But preparations. Are you preparing for what you're hoping for? Let me ask something. Are you preparing for what you're hoping for, what you're wishing for, what you're wanting, what you're desiring? Are you planning? Because if you aren't, why should God? Are you planning? Are you making preparations? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you making preparation? Are you prepared? Prepare. Prepare. While the bridegroom tarried, They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. Well, aren't you supposed to help your brothers and sisters? Shouldn't? I I can't believe what the next verse says. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Go get your own. Go get your own oil. You know one thing you can't buy from anybody is their preparations. You can look at somebody, oh, I wish I could play football like that. Oh, I wish I could play, uh, you know, the trumpet like that or that saxophone like Spencer plays. I wish I could play like that. I wish I could do this, and I wish I had all that money like that fella has, and I wish I had that, and I wish they'd give it to me. Well, there's one thing I can't give you. I can't give you all my preparations that I made the past 50 years. But you're just seeing the results of them. 
And you want, you know, kids today, they graduate from college, and they want a $300,000 house. They want a $50,000 car. They want to be debt-free. They want to have a membership at the uh, country club. They want all these things, but they don't have the 50 years of preparations that it took to get there. And you cannot sell anybody your preparations. You can't do that for anybody. I can't do your preparing for you. Don't look at somebody else's results unless you've duplicated their preparations. Don't look at somebody else's results unless you've duplicated their preparations. That's what's what's wrong with these poor virgins. And he says, you'll see it in the kingdom all the time. This is where the kingdom of God... There's all kinds of people wishing and, and coveting and wanting what you have and wishing that they could do what you do and have what you have and be what you are and all these things. And they're coveting it and they're wishing they had it, but they haven't put in that time. They haven't gone out and got the oil themselves. They laid around and were lazy, then expected somebody to give it to them. Let me tell you something, folks. You're going to have to put the time in. But God wants you to be great. Everybody say, God wants me to be great. But do you want yourself to be great bad enough? That's the way it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that disappointed you when you heard the parable of the ten virgins. But that's what it's talking about. It's true. You know, what we deal with isn't magic, it's faith, it's hard work, it's obeying, it's being a doer of the word, it's renewing your mind, it's putting your flesh under, it's obeying and doing what God says to do. Can I get an amen? It's not snap your finger and have magic. Lots of people like to think that in the word of faith movement that it's that way, but I'm going to tell you, that's wrong. That's not biblical. James 4, it says you have not, and you cannot obtain, and you have not because you ask not. And you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. So you can, you know, use it for your flesh. And I, I really believe that many times we've got to discern between heart desire and flesh. Well, go ahead and turn there that we might consume it upon our lusts. Here's, James is addressing people who get confused with heart desires and flesh desires. says, you lust and have not. Notice how it starts out with, well, I'm going to go back. It says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have. And you cannot obtain. You fight, you war. Yet you have not because you ask not. And you ask and you receive not. Now, whose fault is that if we didn't receive? You ask and and you receive not. You, me. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. And then you go right back. That's where number two started. Verse two says, and you lust and have not. And then it ends with saying you consume it upon your lusts. It doesn't say anything about their heart desires. There's a lot of people that they're confusing heart desire with human desires. And I'm not talking about, when I talk about lust, I'm not talking about thinking about a, a naked person and, and having some type of sexual fantasizing. We're not talking about that lust necessarily. We're talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Some things we want because of our ego. Some things we want because of our ulterior motives. Some things we want because of position. Sometimes we want things for the wrong reasons. Can I get an amen? That's what James is saying right there. 
There's a lust of the flesh, there's a pride of life. Wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, uh, wanting to have uh, all the things that uh, the world thinks are so important. And many people don't know the difference between a desire of the heart and the lust of the flesh. They're confused on that. Galatians 5.17 says, walk in the flesh. I mean, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We've got to learn to walk in the spirit, put our flesh under, renew our mind. It says the carnal mind is death, but, the but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Matthew 6, 24 through 34. The key to this discourse is who is your master? If we're thinking constantly ourselves, let's, let's go to that. This is a really important scripture. This, this is something that really will help us with the desires of our heart. If, if the desires of your heart ultimately translate about me, my family, my house, my car, my income, my retirement, my, 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 my. And, and it's totally void and divorced from the kingdom and what it brings to the kingdom, then you're not in desires of heart. You're over in the lusts of your flesh. And God wants you to have all those things because it's amazing what he says. He says that he'll give you all the things that even the world wants in this portion of scripture. Now we think, oh, you know, he'll give us peace of mind and all those Christian virtues. No, he'll give you even the things the world wants, but in an untwisted form, in an unselfish form. Solomon says, he said to Solomon, because his prayer was not to have the neck of his enemies and to be rich and and, and to be famous and all that, says, because that you just wanted me uh, to answer your prayer to make you able to serve this people in leading them, I'll give you money and I'll give you fame and I'll give you your enemy's neck. He says, I'll give you all those things. Because, see, I can trust you with that now. I know I can trust you with that. And God wants, turn your name and say, God wants to make you great. And lots of times we don't, we don't realize that God, we really don't believe that he does want to make us great. But let me tell you something, the requirements of being great, there's a lot of moral, uh, and there's a lot moral requirements and discipline. I'm going to begin in verse 24, and we're just going to begin reading there. No man can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Now right there, how many, how many can honestly say you don't ever take any thought for your life what you'll eat and drink? That's pretty rare. So always read the requirements before you want to see what the rewards are. Always check out in the contract what the requirements are before you find out what the reward is. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor uh, yet for the body, what you shall put on it, your clothes, eat and drink, clothes. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? In other words, you're really going to have to learn to depend on him. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to your stature? And if that were true, I'd be about six foot tall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it isn't, so good luck. Uh, anyway, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is day is, and, to, and tomorrow is cast into the oven... Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye little, of little faith? This is a faith issue. 
Wherefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? So first you've got to get rid of your fear and your worry before you can get into your faith and your, and your receiving. Take no thought means don't worry, don't be in fear. Fear is the antithesis of faith. It nullifies and negates it. Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Just don't seek them like the Gentile. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So what that's saying is we need to delight ourselves in the Lord. Remember I said that it has to be your relationship with the Lord first and then the principles and committing your ways to him second? See, if you'll put the Lord first, all the ways will come into play second for the desires of your heart. And you're all looking at me like you're not understanding what I'm saying. Is that, are you all getting this tonight? Yes. All right. Delight in the Lord. As long as you put the Lord first and everything, the other stuff will begin to work out. Then you'll begin, because when you put him first, you'll want to start committing your ways to him. Because out of relationship changes your ways. The more you know him, when you know his person, you'll want to follow his principles. Seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. Many times desire of heart gets twisted. Prosperity is biblical, but it gets twisted into greed many times. Love is biblical, but lusting after others is twisted. Being exalted by God is biblical. Self-exaltation and pride is twisted. Fame from God is biblical. Seeking everyone's approval is twisted. Work ethic is biblical. Being a workaholic is twisted. How many of you can see, in everything that's twisted, there was an original design to give glory to God? But they quit giving, putting the kingdom first in it, and they started putting themselves first and seeking the kingdom of God first and having all these things added to them. They started seeking those things first for themselves, and then the kingdom of God was taken from them, and then they lost their way, and it all becomes twisted. But all these things of greatness were original design for you and I. Can I get an amen? amen. What time is it? I'm running out of time. What's one of the tests? Well, I like Luke 16.10. You can turn there if you want, but just for the sake of time, it says, he who is faithful in least will also be faithful in much. And he who is unjust in least will be unjust in much. You know what that test is? Least in much, it's a test of your ego. It's a test of your ego. Well, I'll go stand on the front stage and be the big honcho, but I don't want to go do the small thing and clean the toilet in the bathroom. Oh, you passed the narcissist. You failed the narcissist test. You failed the ego test. If you can't do the small things, forget God bringing you into the big things. Can I get an amen? amen. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. And if you're not faithful enough to have enough humility in the small things, uh, your ego, uh, you'll, you'll morally fail and you won't have enough character to be found doing the big things. Let me say amen. If you can't do the small things with the right attitude, oh, I don't even want to meet you when you're doing the big things. I don't even want to run across your narcissistic little path uh, doing the big things. Come amen. Come on, somebody. Say amen. amen. We know what our flesh is like. And then the second one, he that's faithful in money or mammon 
will be committed to true riches. How many of you know in the book of Ecclesiastes it says money answers all things? Money fixes all things. Money buys all things. And let me tell you something. If you can't handle money, you'll never be trusted with the anointing. Because money is the natural power of this world. The anointing is the spiritual power of the kingdom of God. Money and anointing are almost the same thing. Money buys all things and the anointing can fix all things. In a worldly sense, money can fix everything. In a worldly fallen sense. In the spiritual, godly sense, the anointing can fix virtually everything. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so this is why if you can't handle money, if you'll abuse money, you'll abuse the anointing. You'll begin to merchandise it after a while. And I've seen preachers do it. The money test and its lust. Because money will buy you sex. Money will buy you power. Money will buy you everything that your unregenerate flesh wants. And you know what? And if you can't handle that, God doesn't dare let you touch the, the more, what, what does he call it? The, the, the true riches, yeah. The true riches, the, the things of the kingdom like the anointing and the word and the spirit and the gifts of the Holy Ghost and all those wonderful uh, transcendent, holy, and uh, sanctified and righteous things. Another man's. He that's faithful in other man's. Well, we already had the ego test. Second, you know, the ego test is will you do the small stuff like you will the big? And then the money test is really the lust test because you lust after money. If you lust after that, you'll lust after uh, power and, and all kinds of things. And so, so the second one is the lust test. And then the third one is the will test and, and the willingness to be submitted to somebody else. Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. Satan said, not your will, God, but my will be done over yours. To be Luciferian is to say, not your will, my will. To be Jesus-like is to say, not my will, your will. And submission doesn't begin until you disagree and you have to submit and say bye-bye to your will and take on somebody else's will that you don't want to do. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. You're not in submission until you're doing something that somebody else is asking you to do that you don't want to do. Otherwise, it's not submission. You're just in agreement at that point. That's what submission... Jesus was sweating blood and says, is there any way I can get around this, Lord? He says, nope. Okay, not my will, your will. Wow. Be faithful in another man's and you'll be given your own. Because whenever you're given your own, you're still being faithful in another man's, his. Can I get an amen? You're still stewarding his. It's never yours. You never get to have your own, really. Because even when it's your own ministry, it's really his. Amen? Somebody say amen. amen. All right, we're running out of time. All right, well, we're running out of time. I'm going to try to close this here. <clears throat> God wants us to be good stewards over the things that he, get, that he gives us in our, in our ministries. Jeremiah says, I know the things that I have for you. I know the plans. In other words, you could say, I know the desires that I put in your heart. How many of you know the desires of your heart? How many of you know what you desire to do in life? 
seeking God. God will help you know the desires. All people have, a, have a, some of the same desires, but some don't govern or steward those desires properly because they're lost, they're unrenewed in their mind, they're immature, they're selfish, and they don't really steward those desires. Those desires should be used to drive you to do the kingdom-first things of this world. You know, most people dream, you know, we should, uh, you know, I want to have the perfect spouse, I want the perfect vacation, I want the perfect kids, the perfect family, the perfect house, perfect car, perfect, you know, belongings, vacation, good times, you know, uh, vocation, uh, perfect calling, perfect outcome, perfect, you know, health, perfect, you know, they, how many of you know all those desires are kind of common to all of us? But it's not until we make some minor adjustments and begin to imagine all those things, your house, your kids, your vacation, all subordinated to the kingdom first. I want to have perfect kids. Then why do you put their games and things over church? Because what you just did is you just made that. You just made it so God couldn't give you the desires of your heart because you didn't put the kingdom first. You put that stupid ball game first on Sunday morning. Right. Well, people don't like it when I get this personal. But let me tell you something. As long as you think that you can put your stuff first and those desires in your life are going to come to fruition for you, you are thoroughly deceived. Our kids all took second to the kingdom. They didn't go second to the church. They didn't go second. But they, always, they were all second place. To the and you know what? Because of it, they got the most blessed. We always put the kingdom first. And when you seek first the kingdom, all the things for your kids, all the things for you to have a nice home, all the things uh, for your vocation, your finances, and when you put the kingdom first, all those other things that you desire will come into play. But people today cheat, and they say, no, well, I'm putting, I put God first. Oh, but by the way... Kingdom's going to have to wait. Kingdom's going to have to come second. You know, uh, we're going to have to buy this. We can't give that. We can't. Everything really, when you look in the reality of a person's life many times, the kingdom really is coming in second. And you cannot serve two masters, and you'll love the one and you'll hate the other. So do you have desires? Do you want greatness? Jesus says, can you drink that cup? Really? You think you can drink that cup? You think you can be baptized with that fire? Okay, jump on board. Here we go. I mean, you know, the disciples had a lot of persecution. But they're the greatest people on planet Earth. They're the greatest overcomers. They sit in the seat with the elders in heaven around the throne. The 12, you know, apostles and the 12, you know, heads of the tribes in the Old Testament. Their greatness ultimately comes. And you know, our greatness isn't going to be fully realized in the earth. You know, the parable, the one parable says, you know, to the degree that you've been faithful as a steward here, will determine being put over 10 cities in the eternal state in the next kingdom. How many of you know, you can't just look at the here and now. You've got to think in terms of greatness is forever. And it's in the next. And see, we're so focused on the here and now and the blessings of the here and now, which is good. We can, we can, uh, we can accept that. But we get unfocused on the eternal rewards of putting first the kingdom. Let's stand up, and we're going to be dismissed tonight. We went over. I'm sorry. Amen.